And if you, jo if you joined us before the, just after the beginning, um, I introduced Andy then, but this is the Reverend Andy Smith, or well, the very irreverend n normally, actually. Uh, Andy was a curate here, that's a trainee vicar, uh, for about three years, three and a bit years, and um, about 18 months ago, some of you remember this, um, Andy and Debbie in a short, short, a small team, well, some of them are short, because your girls went too, um, were sent out from here uh, as part of a partnership with us and St. Peter's Benjuath in Evesham. And a number of you have been involved supporting that, haven't you? Just give us a quick show of hands, those of you who have been out there and helped. I know some of you have, thank you. Um, and we thought it would be great to get Andy back to find out how it's going as we grow our little family of churches here within the, the diocese. So welcome back. We've missed you. Hey. And um, it would be great if you could just say a little bit to start with, just remind us kind of why, why St. Peter's? And what's the last 18 months been like? Why St. Peter's? Hello, everyone. It's good to see you. Friends old and new. Uh, I've missed you. There's a, some, some friendly faces I know. Um, wow, why St. Peter's? I mean, the Lord. <laughs> the Lord, first and foremost. Um, I think what I love about this whole venture, um, by the way, some of the photos might seem quite random for those of you that can see these on the screen. Um, there's everything from like my 40th birthday party, which has been part of this year, um, to meals with friends, um, photos of things that have seemed symbolic in some way. So just, yeah, if, if none of it, some of it doesn't make sense, that's fine. But um, yeah, the Lord has been at the heart of everything, I think, that we've done. And um, you know, prior to this replanting in St. Peter's, there was a process of seeking, you know, is, where is the right place? for the first resourcing church plant to go. Um, credit to Archdeacon Robert, I think it was his kind of initial thing actually many years ago who said actually St. Peter's. Um, there's many pragmatic reasons you could give, which is things like it's a great building, it's been well looked after, it's a good size, there's lots of space, Evesham is growing, there's probably two and a half to 3,000 more people there now than there were about seven or eight years ago. So the eastern edge of Evesham is kind of expanding and growing, lots of young families and things moving into the area. So there's, there's opportunity aplenty. Um, you know, so it's a, there's kind of pragmatic reasons as to why, yeah, it kind of just makes sense. And so we went with, well, you know, Archdeacon Robert has said, this seems to be the place. Uh, we kind of looked at a very matter-of-fact way and said, yeah, this, this, this makes some kind of logical sense. So then it became um, really a case of discerning and saying, well, well, God, give us a reason why this isn't the place. Um, and increasingly, there were just more and more little um, signs and nods and nudges and uh, you, know the, you, know, you know the deal, right? You know how it works. Um, the still small voice again and again is like, this is the place, this is the place. Uh, but one of the things I, I really loved and this might actually not be entirely factually correct, but that um, there, there was some kind of, um, you know, wh where, did, where did the word Benjworth come from? And um, uh, there was a kind of mistranslation at some point of a kind of, I, I believe, a, a, an old French word, I think, or a couple of French words where Benjworth um, kind of came to be known as, as that because of uh, Benning and Aorde. Benning coming from benign, meaning good, and aorde meaning earth, so good earth or good soil. Uh, and I said, I think it was a mistranslation, but I kind of took it as like, good soil, that seems like a great place to start, you know. So my prayer uh, and the prayer of the team and everything going in was just, Lord, like, 
let there be good soil, good ground for the gospel, that we can plant seeds, that there's receptive people, um, both in the church and outside, um, where Jesus can be made known. So that was, that was the kind of background, really. And yeah. you, you inherited a congregation that was already there. Yeah. Who've been very welcoming. Yeah. They're really lovely. Yeah. A lot of fun, actually. And, um, and then you found a congregation that's formed around the new thing as well. So tell us a little bit about the last 18 months in terms of those two groups of people, I guess, becoming one church. And what, what's been, the, what have been some of the wins and the highs? Yeah, I mean, it, it's quite different for, um, for a church plant in that, that usually a church plant is either something that you, you know, that, that's done kind of from scratch. So you, you just start a new thing in a kind of school hall or a community hall or something like that. Um, or you do a kind of revitalization project, which is um, what we've been doing. Usually, if that's the case, it tends to be that there's a, a, a really quite a small community left. Um, you know, you might find there's 8, 10, 12 people that are kind of, um, sort of maybe struggling to keep the church, um, keep the church in their area going, keep it alive. And um, so a, a planting team comes in um, more often than not. The planting team is actually bigger than the, the existing inherited congregation. Um, and that you're hoping to bring something of kind of vitality and health to combine with what's there already and to kind of give it a boost and, and raise it up. Um, in our case, it was slightly different in that the existing inherited congregation was already about 45, which is quite kind of a, a relatively large congregation, um, in, in, according to this kind of way of doing things. And, um, and the planting team was quite small, so there was sort of seven adults, six kids. And, and so um, initially there was a lot of well, kind of trepidation, I guess, from my perspective, thinking, have we, have we got enough have we, is this going to be enough? Are we going to be enough? Are we going to be able to do this thing? Um, and God's just been so amazingly kind. Um, the people were great, are great. The inherited congregation, there's been a lot of people who've just kind of welcomed us with open arms and, and acknowledged that there is challenge in this. You know, there's, I take my hats off to them because it is a sacrificial move. It's a sacrificial move to, to welcome in a very, very different kind of culture, a very different, um, you know, different theology, different um, worship practice, all sorts of stuff. Um, just unknown people en masse kind of thing uh, and go, okay, we kind of trust that you're going to do, that, that God's going to do something um, to rejuvenate and revive. Um, so, yeah, they, they have been really, really wonderful. So hats off to um, to. Benjworth and St. Peter's inherited congregation. Um, but, you know, we, we decided, we, we kind of took the approach of rather than kind of planting into that kind of congregation and trying to kind of move them um, from the kind of central Anglican tradition into the more kind of charismatic evangelical, we, we decided um, that, that that can work. But I think because the inherited congregation was so, so large, we, we figured actually you know, we, we would effectively kind of steamroller their tradition um, if we did that. And it's, it's incredibly painful for everybody involved. You know, there's a, it can be a lot of tension. Um, so in some situations that can work, but our sort of felt sense was we needed to just start something new, which presents challenges as well, right? So, you know, when you start, it's a big building, it's kind of similar sized to, to All Saints, um, you know, moved in and I thought there's going to be kind of seven adults and six kids knocking around in this enormous space with like 170 chairs in it. Um, could look a bit silly. Um, but we just thought, let's just, let's just do it. 
and trust that God's going to fill the space, right? We'll be talking about that a bit later. Um, and so we did that, but uh, the, the kind of God incidences that happened along the way were amazing, and there was a kind of a local church, uh, church plant that had happened elsewhere whose um, who's kind of um, leader went on to a different role within the Church of England, and so there was this little kind of church plant of about eight or ten people who then became um, sheep without a shepherd. Uh, and they were kind of, well, where do, we, where do we go? Where do we go for church? And so during that time, it was a Zoom meeting with them all, uh, had a conversation and just said, look, you know, this is kind of what we're doing. This is what it's going to potentially look like. No steer from me, but if that's your bag, if that's your cup of tea, if you think that this is something that you could get on board with, join us, you know? Uh, and those guys have kind of, again, they, they kind of bolstered the initial kind of planting team uh, and, and things have just kind of grown, really, from, from there. So it's been really wonderful to and see. And now you've got a really viable new congregation, lots of people, lots of kids, a whole mix of backgrounds, yeah. which is really fascinating. Yeah. Every time I go, there's different people I've never seen there before. And um, Yeah, of... it's been mad. And God's brought families, um, you know, keeps bringing lots of families with lots of children. So within just a few months, we had... Um, two families, each with three children, and another family with five children that kind of joined us. And it was like we kind of went from like no children in the church at all to suddenly having like 20 of them and not enough people to, <laughs> to, to help with children's work. We're like, how do we, what do we, what do, we do, you know? Uh, and I think what I was prepared for in going was I was prepared for this not working very well, you know, oh, ye of little faith, right? I was prepared for, oh, maybe no one's going to turn up. What I wasn't prepared for on, like, week three was, like, 20 kids in the building and having two children's workers and being like, where do we put everyone? Um, so um, it's, been, it's been a real joy to see that, you know, and for the inherited congregation to see, even though not part of their congregation, not part of that kind of service, we have a kind of a, this godly mix and mingling time where the, the 9.15ers finish and the 11 o'clockers turn up a bit early and we kind of all have a chat over coffee and get to know one another. And, and it is a collision of worlds at times and it can be a bit like, oh my goodness, what's going on? Um, but actually, the delight of just seeing children doing laps and just, I mean, playing on, like they have the kneelers. What are kneelers for in the church? I don't know. But they have kneelers in the church. And um, the, the children kind of, you know, place them all around the church and use them as stepping stones and cause total chaos. And, but it's glorious. It's, it's really, it's a beautiful thing. So. It's, it is. And um, you're always welcome to go over there and not come here, just if you want to go and taste and see what's going on. Tell us a little bit about, you're involved in two schools as well, and that's been a huge kind of part of the last 18 months, hasn't it? Yeah, there's, there's, so there's two, um, two really wonderful Church of England schools on our patch, um, one called um, Benjworth Academy and the other one St. Richard's. Um, Benjworth Academy is a kind of a huge three-form intake um, Church of England school, so um, uh, yeah, f I think it's, and, and again, it's a strange system in Evesham. We have the kind of first school, middle school, high school system, which takes a bit of time to get your head around. So first school is up to year five, um, but even in that, it means there's 540 kids in one school um, and about 320 in the other. And um, the, the, the three-form intake school is, is uh, over two sites. So the reception in year one, kids are on one site, and then years two, three, four, and five uh, are in another one. But St. Peter's Church is the only place where they can fit everybody in. And so, um, you know, and, and again, post-COVID as well, um, there'd been two years where they hadn't seen each other, been all together, been in a room. 
and as things started opening up, we were just like, come on, you know, come along, come back. And um, so at the end of every half term, so about every kind of, what's that, every kind of eight weeks or so, um, all of the kids come into the building. So we had 540 kids, 30 or 40 teachers, um, and you have like, we, we have the, the, the chairs that all join together, um, and they use them like pews. So it's like all the kids are lined up on it, and it's like seat crack, seat crack, seat crack, seat crack, and the kids, <laughs> the kids are just like, you're half, they're just totally mashed into the space, but they just, uh, they just love it. And they sing from like icing pop on the, on the screens and just hearing 540 little children coming in and just filling the place with worship. It's just like, I've invited several people at things like Harvest, like come along and like help with the gift donations and things like that. And I had like one of my volunteers come along and, I, and they're like, oh, is it, is it, what's it like? Is it good? And I was like, when they start singing, you're going to cry. And she was like, oh, I'll be fine. Anyway, the kids come in and start singing. About 30 seconds in, she's got tears streaming down her face and I was like hold you um so it, it's so beautiful um they come you know they come for Easter and Christmas and harvest and remembrance and all sorts but it is um it is beautiful and St Richard's come too uh it's a real community vibe um so you know I, I really really try to make and we really try to make schools an absolute priority so Benjworth I probably have more front-facing contact so I'm always there for their services as much as I possibly can be and I high-five the kids in desperately try and remember a few names if I can it's impossible but it's fun all the teachers are looking at me now going I remember that um uh, whereas, you know, St. Richard's probably less kind of front-facing contact, but more kind of support and help with governance. Um, so recently, St. Richard's has just had their Siams inspection, and Siams is like the kind of Church of England equivalent of Ofsted. Um, so been supporting them with um, really making sure, making sure that the kind of Christian distinctive, the Christian narrative, the Christian ethos is right at the heart of everything they do and is being lived out in their church, in their uh, school values. So, you know, trying to just love our community um, as much as we can. So that's been, yeah. Thank you. Isn't that encouraging? It's so encouraging. It's really exciting. Um, Andy and I keep in touch regularly, and our teams and their team have contact, and uh, we're going to be doing more of that as we go forward. Um, But suffice to say, he's doing a brilliant job, clearly. And it's really important because this is the first of what will be a whole load of these projects in the diocese, and so it's been great that the first one has gone well because that makes it easier for Bishop John and his team to sort of commend this model elsewhere in the diocese and you'll hear about more of that happening both from All Saints going forward we're looking to do something similar next year and uh, Top Church which is the other resourcing church they're going to be doing a different kind of model but in the greater Dudley area where there's huge urban deprivation a whole load of different plants and new congregations and so we're part of a bigger story than just the All Saints Benjua thing as well, and that's really important for you to hear about it. Andy, do you want to say a little bit about some of the plans and, and dreams you have as you go forward, and then we'll pray for you. Yeah, sure. I mean, the, um, it feels like the last 18 months, there's been um, kind of a lot of just structural change that's been necessary. So things like, you know, having to appoint a ministries coordinator, someone who can handle a lot of the administration and, and underpin what we do, um, kind of creating teams, like kind of effectively a staff team that sits under PCC. And, you know, the, the structures when you're doing a replant are really quite complicated because you have kind of a, you know, the PCC that's already there and existing, like their leadership team. But then you come in with a planting team, and that's a leadership team. And you go, 
how do these teams interact and how do you make them function well without there being, you know, duplicating responsibility and, and that kind of thing. Um, there, there's been lots of kind of um, unglamorous uh, change, I think. Uh, and at the moment, we're just starting to, uh, it's starting to feel like we can begin to build on what we're doing. Um, and so really as of like last term, so kind of from September onwards, um, began kind of building some of the more obvious ministerial stuff of the church. And priority number one was there was no regular kind of time of prayer led within the church. And so um, hats off to Tim Clack, if he's listening, uh, or if he's watching this back later on. Tim was like, you know, this, this has got to be a priority. And I was like, you're absolutely right. And so um, every Tuesday evening now, there is a, a kind of a faithful core of people that have become kind of the, the engine room of the church that are just praying week in, week out, um, and gathering and praying for the leadership of the church um, locally and nationally and at, at every level, um, you know, praying for renewal, praying for um, people to come, praying for um, people to come to faith, and so that is really a really, really important kind of move. Um, so priority number one, um, creating kind of points of contact for unity within the church as well. So um, making um, sort of social, sociable kind of events. So we've got like a pancake party coming up this week. Um, you know, just things like that, quiz nights and, you know, stuff that we can do, like the Kaylee thing, um, that, that kind of galvanize people so that we are one church and not siloed kind of congregations, because that is a real challenge. Um, so creating those touch points and continuing to do more of that. Um, life groups as well. So that's, again, it been, it been a totally new thing to, to St. Peter's. You know, they've not, not really had those before. And so we started kind of small with what we've got, but we've got two life groups now kind of up and running. And so that is, again, a kind of a foundational thing for discipleship within, within our church. And the plan is going to be very much to kind of build on that going forward, train and equip new leaders, um, make more life groups, um, to, to kind of really just invest in who is who is there now, because it's so easy, isn't it, to kind of look ahead and, oh, we want to kind of see more people, we want to see more people, but actually, I think principally the way that church grows is to invest in the people that you have, you do good discipleship, that people grow in maturity, they grow in love for Jesus, and then they go and do the stuff, and so that's kind of been my kind of main priority. Um, last term, we did a kind of an alpha pilot, which was really fun, and so we did alpha, but kind of for the church, with the principal idea being that if you're not if you've not experienced Alpha before, if you've not seen what it's like, why not kind of come along? Um, it's much easier, isn't it? It's quite hard to, I think it's quite hard to give an invite to something that you don't know what it is. It's like, well, I'm going to invite you to this, but yeah, it could be really rubbish. So, uh, you know, I, the idea was to kind of put on Alpha, do it really well, do it for the church so they could see what it was about and really kind of get the vision for it. Um, and so we did that last term. We had about kind of 18 people um, come along to that. Um, and it was just a glorious, a glorious thing to see um, the church kind of growing and, and getting the vision for, uh, for what it's about and for evangelism and apologetics and giving people those opportunities to just ask questions. Um, I think for me personally, one of the things I'm most passionate about, if not the thing I'm most passionate about, is having um, opportunities where people can just really think deeply about stuff that matters, you know. Um, I've been kind of listening to a podcast recently that's been talking about the kind of Jewish way of thinking. 
um, and, and how the, the, the Jewish writers of the scriptures weren't just kind of like, oh yeah, let's, let's teach everybody what they're meant to do, but let's bury treasure for people to find, you know? And in the scriptures where we do the work of unearthing and, and thinking deeply and meditating on the scripture and chewing over it, that we, we find treasure that God's buried there for us to find. And I, I just love creating those opportunities for people to go, let's explore and find some treasure together, you know. So, so that is, I think, something that will be quite foundational and formative in terms of what church is going to be about at Benjworth is are we going to be people who put in the work, who seek treasure together, who seek God's truth and then aim to kind of share that with other people and help them to be treasure seekers too, you know. Um, so so that is, that's a, a big thing for me. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, anyone thinking, I might move to Evesham. I mean, I'm thinking, this sounds brilliant. Um, I'll, I'll stay, but feel free to go if the Lord leads you. Um, you have to. You have to stay. There. I have to stay. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Um, no, it's so good to hear all of that. And there's so much more that um, Andy would love to share, I know. So do come and talk to him at the end. That'd be great. I think he deserves a round of applause on behalf of his whole team. Thank you, mate. Well done. Um, it's so good to hear those stories. Um, can we pray for Andy? Why don't we stretch out a hand just for a moment, and then he's going to finish our gathering with a, a short encouragement for us from the Scriptures. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that we've just heard, which is a snapshot of the extraordinary amount of uh, activity that has been going on in St. Peter's over the last, well, even before he got there, as we prepared for this, the last two years. We thank you for the life that they're experiencing together. Thank you for the unity of those two congregations. Thank you for the good people that were already there who've um, been so gracious at welcoming in a new thing from you and therefore change. Thank you for the way that they're coming alive in new ways. Thank you for the people who've found a home there. Thank you for the people who've come to faith there. Thank you for those families that have joined, those, that community of kids. Thank you for the witness they are in the town, in those schools particularly. Thank you for your provision of people and money. And our prayer is that, God, you'd pour out your spirit upon them. That you'd anoint Andy and Debbie as they lead, but that whole team would continue to collaborate and be creative and have fun together. Thank you for that uh, group that is so committed to one another right at the heart of the church. And our prayer is that next time Andy comes back, he'll tell us, even more stories of life and growth. And for all those things he hasn't shared, the challenges that lie ahead, we pray for wisdom and courage and faith. And in it all, we pray they'd know your joy and your delight. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Andy. Let me find you a little lectern. Um, and then, as I say, Andy's going to wrap up our gathering by finishing, finishing giving us a short encouragement. So thank you. Glorious. It's just like old times, isn't it? This is so cool. Feels like I never left. Um, I swear this hasn't been planned, but the little, uh, the little title that I gave this talk was um, The God Who Fills the Spaces We Make, which I think is quite interesting given your, uh, your conversation this morning and, and what you're talking about, finances and things in particular. Um, but yeah, it is good to be here. Um, I'm going to turn to the scriptures. And so if you've got a Bible or a phone, turn or swipe 
uh, pinch, zoom, and scroll to 2, two Chronicles, sorry, 2 Chronicles 5, uh, starting at chapter 7. And um, I'm just going to read, read from this. It says, Then the priests carried the Ark of the Lord's Covenant into the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and placed it beneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread their wings over the Ark, forming a canopy over the Ark and its carrying poles. These poles were so long that their ends could be seen from the holy place, which is in front of the most holy place, but not from the outside. They're still there to this day. Nothing was in the ark except the two stone tablets that Moses had placed in, uh, in it at Mount Sinai, where the Lord made a covenant with the people of Israel when they left Egypt. Then the priests left the, the holy place. All the priests who were present had purified themselves, whether or not they were on duty that day. And the Levites, who were, the, um, who were musicians, Asaph, Heman, Jedathan, and all their sons and brothers were dressed in fine linen robes and stood at the east side of the altar playing cymbals, lyres, and harps. They were joined by 120 priests who were playing trumpets. The trumpeters and singers performed together in unison to pray and give thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, they raised their voices and praised the Lord with these words, He is good. His faithful love endures forever. At that moment, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. Priests could not continue their service because of the cloud, for the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So when you're reading the Bible... Does it ever occur to you as odd as to how much of the text is dedicated to some things and how little is dedicated to others? Do you find that, or is it just me? I mean, when the Spirit was inspiring people to write what was needed to be communicated, how did he make choices about how much explanation was needed? Let's take the creation narrative, for example. I mean, God gets one shot at explaining the creation of the known universe to human beings, and he takes two chapters, two chapters, 1,500 words, this sermon's like that long, um, and I don't know about you, but I would have thought that's worth at least a few books, isn't it? You know, creation of the universe, give it a few. Um, then there are other times where God seems to just nail, uh, nail it. I mean, the first part of Exodus, as an example, uh, it's awesome. There's, there's the birth of Moses, and there's a supernatural burning bush an oppressive regime, the uprising of an unlikely hero with a speech impediment who's going to stick it to Pharaoh, signs and wonders, plagues, sacrificed animals, blood smeared, a meal eaten in haste, not to mention gravity-defying walls of water, manna in the desert, and the giving of the Ten Commandments. There's so much going on, and it gets a respectable and chunky 20 chapters. It's fast-paced and efficient, but has quieter moments to let the narrative breathe. Great job, Lord. But then there are those places in scriptures where all attempts at brevity seem to go out the window. In Exodus 25, God tells his people that they need to make him a tent. 
and he proceeds to give them instructions. Now, I like camping. I've put up quite a few tents. Rich, do you like camping? He loves it. Rich loves camping, particularly like the really rough stuff, don't you? Particularly at New Wine, where you really slum it in your big caravan. <laughs> I like camping. I do like proper camping, you know, small tents, uncomfortable, that kind of thing. But I've seen lots of instructions for putting up tents. A side of A4, max, seriously, but no. In the scriptures, we get 15 chapters of putting together a tent. What is that all about? And in Chronicles 2, uh, part of which we just read, the instructions for building Solomon's temple, five long chapters, much detail, much to pour over. What is going on? Well, it's certainly not that the creation of everything is unimportant. And there are, I'm sure, good reasons as to why uh, God chooses to be more efficient with his words in some places than others. But when we come across such an unbelievably spacious, uh, slow-paced narrative, such as the instructions for building the tabernacle, we have to wonder why all the space What's going on? Well, I believe God is calling us to slow down, to feel that space, and to make time to just be in the story. Because here the scriptures document the people of Israel preparing for, as Rich said earlier on, God goes where he's wanted, yeah? The world closes off space for dependence on God, saying, you're strong, you can go it alone, you can do it. But God says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but on him. The world closes off space for trust in God, in our finances, because wherever we turn, there seems to be a new reason to worry about money But God says, don't worry about what you'll eat or what you'll wear. Make space for me. Trust in my provision. The world closes off space for time with Jesus, saying life is too busy and prayer is a luxury that you can't afford. But God says, be still and know that I'm God. Spend time with me. Making space for God to show up is so challenging, but in my experience of the last 18 months, Uh, and I'm totally preaching to myself here massively, um, is that when we have actually made space for God, when we've pushed back everything else and said, no, this is not the priority. God is the priority. He always fills it. He always fills the gap. He always makes up the difference. In the beginning of our journey, there was no planting team. There was just a desire to go and do a plant. And God not only gave us a planting team, but he gave us like the kind of gold star standard, uh, diamond studded, amazing planting team that we have. Some amazing people, kind of worship leaders and people with experience on PCC and HR. And seriously, the provision was amazing. And we specifically didn't ask anyone to join us. We didn't ask anybody. We just said, let's just trust that God will fill the gaps. And he did. 
right from the word go. We literally created a new space at St. Peter's. We said, no, no, this time, this space might look a bit empty and stupid for a few weeks, but we're going to create space and God's going to fill it, and he is filling it. And now there's kind of, I know, 45, 50, 55 people on an average Sunday that are coming to worship, and they're coming with God's stories. Like, we've been called here. This is why we're, it's not just like, oh, we're just showing up because we don't like our church. There's like, we really feel like we're meant to be here, and they're contributing, and they're helping us to grow. At one point, our worship band uh, was sort of beginning to grow a little bit. We thought, you know what? We really need a drummer. We really need a drummer. Um, because everybody needs a drummer, right, in their life. Come on. Everything is better with drums. Um, and, and so we, we prayed, God, would you bring us a drummer? But then we spent 800 quid, quid on a really decent drum kit with no drummer. And I thought, I could look really stupid if this doesn't work out. Ten days later, there was a couple that walked into church. And I went over to them and I introduced myself. And I was like, hi there. My name's Andy. It's lovely to have you here. How are you doing? spoke to the, the kind of woman of this couple, and she said, oh, hi there, my name's Patsy, this is my husband Greg, he's a drummer. Like, the, literally, that was the introduction, it was absolutely awesome. But, but I prayed for a drummer, bought a kit in faith, I left the gap in faith that God would fill it. I mean, who buys an 800 quid drum kit with no drummer? That's stupidity, isn't it, in the, in the world sense? But no, I was like, no, 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 God's going to bring us a drummer. And he did. How amazing is that? He's a good drummer as well. Thanks, Greg. You're welcome. Um, uh, and just recently, we were getting to the point where we needed more admin support. Just things were kind of taking off, needed more help, had a PCC meeting, and they're like, we, we kind of don't have the money yet, but we're assuming that, you know, this is going to work, right? <laughs> and this is gonna, God's going to fill the gap. And so we, the PCC were bold, and they said, yeah, okay, let's go for it. So we got some more admin support, paid for it, and within literally weeks, um, our giving had gone up. Um, praise God. Um, the gap is being filled. God fills whatever space we give him. And, and, you know, this shouldn't surprise us, should it? God's been in the business of filling spaces that we make for him forever. Uh, the wedding in Cana, the servants left space for God to show up as they tentatively uh, were waiting to desperately try and not look stupid, pouring water into the master of ceremonies. Uh, cup, and yet wine flowed forward. They left a space of faith for God to turn up where they could have looked pretty stupid. In 2 Kings 4, with Elisha and the widow, people kept bringing jars to be filled with oil. They kept bringing the space. God kept filling it. And it was only once the space stopped being offered that God stopped filling it that the oil stopped flowing. Nehemiah, he knew that he wanted to rebuild this wall, and he knew that what he was trying to do impossible, and all the time he was proclaiming, God's going to do it, God's going to do it, God's going to do it. He knew that it wasn't going to be the people that were going to do it. He knew that he was dependent on God. 52 days later, they had a wall because God intervened. It was a practical miracle. These are my kind of miracles. Um, it's a real practical, very ordinary miracle in some ways. Can you have an ordinary miracle? I don't know. It's probably terrible theology. Bishop John, you can tell me later on. Um, but, you know, it, what an amazing thing. He left the gap. He was dependent on God. He was like, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. And the war was done. And so, to close, if we want to see God move, if we want to see people come to faith, if we want to see the church renewed, if we want to um, 
see God do something impossible, we have to leave room for the impossible so that he can show up. We've got to risk looking stupid, but I don't think it's actually risky at all. We must make space in every area of our lives and trust that God will fill it as he filled his house, as he filled the temple, as he filled the tabernacle, so he will fill whatever space we give him. But there's one space as well that God, I believe, wants to fill more than any other, and that is the space in ourselves, in our hearts, that to a postage stamp. And imagine pushing those tent walls back and out and creating and carving that big space for the Lord to come and dwell. And now, Holy Spirit, we say, come. Come and fill our hearts. Come and fill us with your presence as you filled the temple with your glory. Come, Holy Spirit. Rest on your people, we pray, Lord. More of you. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, we, we ask that this week that you would convict us, you would challenge us, and that we would clear a space, that we would make you our priority we would risk a gap of faith for you to show up and do some amazing things among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Andy. I'm going to finish with a prayer of blessing, but just to remind you that as ever, if you'd like to be prayed for after we finish, do come up to the front. There'll be members of our team.